What's up, guys, and welcome back to another brand new episode of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. We are on season three, episode two, and thank you so much for those of you who tuned into the season three premiere last week. I appreciate the love. Unfortunately, because we're in January, things are kind of slow in the entertainment world as far as music goes. Now, I this gives me a perfect opportunity to dive back into my movies. Like there are a lot of movies I have to get through on my list. I've slowly but surely been getting through them. And there are a lot of shows on Netflix, HBO Max that I really have been meaning to get into for like the last year or so. So I'm very, very much behind. And I don't even want to think about how far I am, how far behind I am on my DVR. So there's a lot of stuff I'm trying to play catch up with. And while music remains slow, the great thing about having a podcast that does that talks about more than music is that I can always dive into my movies and TV shows. Things have been a little crazy on my end, so unfortunately I haven't been able to watch as many movies that I plan to get into for the podcast, but I have plenty of time to do so. But again, thank you to those of you who checked into the premiere, those of you who promoted it on your social media, shared it with a friend. I appreciate the love, and let's get right into this new episode, shall we? So I want to start off by getting into Chris Brown's new single, Iffy. There's really not much to talk about here because I wasn't overly impressed with the song. I had heard a snippet of the single about a couple of days before the song was actually released. And I wasn't crazy about what I heard in the snippet, but I was like, it is just a 20 second thing. Let me get into the actual song itself. And I've sat with the record now. And as as far as his, compared to his other lead singles, even of recent years, Undecided, um, I believe the lead single for... Heartbreak on a Full Moon was technically Grass Ain't Greener, and that and that was a good single. To me, Iffy is as weak as a lot of the songs off of Royalty, which is probably my least favorite Chris Brown album, just because I felt like the music was the music was lacking, and also the direction of the album was lacking as well. You know, he named it after his firstborn, and I was just expecting a more mature album from him, but in, instead it had no real direction. I feel like eventually the the visuals he put together for the album told a story, but the the song still just didn't give me what I thought we should have gotten for an an album from him at that time of his life. You know, you're expecting a more mature album, especially you know you're you're becoming a father for the first time. You're navigating you know how difficult it is to co-parent when you're not you know together with the person. So I just felt like we should have gotten more. But back to this new single. I really was hoping he would have led with an R&B song instead of like a trap influenced R&B type of record, especially because he's not really pushing the envelope here with this song. You know, I feel like Chris Brown has been in this game for over 10 years. He's, you know, at this point entering an OG status. And I feel like this single really doesn't help Chris Brown stand out at all, especially during this incredible resurgence for R&B. And it's not just Chris that I feel this way about. I feel the same way about Usher, where he was kind of heading in the right direction um, leading up to this new album, the the sequel to Confessions that we were supposed to get. And then it's been kind of silent from him. I feel like a lot of people in that league would thrive right now. And a lot of them aren't taking advantage of it. Chris Brown has always been a chameleon. He came in as an R&B artist, but he always even on his first album, kind of gave you the R&B songs with pop appeal. 
And I feel like that's been something that Chris Brown has been able to do so incredibly throughout his career. I mean, even his one of the singles from Exclusive Forever, that was the first time I had really heard a dubstep record like that. And he was able to kind of take the main elements of dubstep and, and insert some pop and R&B feels into there as well. And that's why the song at the time was just so captivating and I feel like he's a lot of people their criticisms is that you know Chris Brown hasn't really been pushing the the envelope you know within the past maybe five years I think the last really really good album we got from him was X and then ever since then it's kind of been hit or miss or the music's been a little lukewarm or we've heard it before and I just think Iffy is another great example of that and I think to to start off in your upcoming album your 10th by the way, with this single wasn't a smarter choice. I felt like he could have picked a stronger single, especially because it's not like he's giving us a bloated album this time around. This one is going to be a tr- have a traditional track list of maybe 16 to 18 songs. So his excuse with Indigo and Heartbreak was, well, you know what? I have like 40 something songs on this album. I'm going to give them seven or eight singles anyway. So even if this one doesn't work well with the audience, we have other ones to choose from this time. Chris has to remember that this is a more of a traditional album, so now he has to be a lot smarter about his single choices. I will say that the music video is is dope, but Chris Brown is usually, you know, you can count on him to give you good visuals. The music video has nothing to do with the actual song itself, but um, it does kind of help the song a little bit because I, I'm still not crazy about the single, but after watching the music video, I'm like, okay, it's a little better than when I was listening to it before, but not by much. But I'm hoping that the rest of the album, I'm hoping that this single doesn't speak for the rest of this album and that Breezy ends up being a good one because it is his 10th album and he's kind of, it seems like going back to basics. So I, I hope that the rest of this album is a lot better than, than Iffy. But I will, I'll let him rock for now. We'll see how the rest, we'll see how his next single sounds. Moving on from Chris Brown, I also wanted to get into the game's new single with Kanye, which is called Easy produced by hip boy now i hate to admit how much i fuck with this record because you know by now that i cannot stand kanye however whoever wrote this verse brought out the best in him because this sounds like old kanye and let's be real kanye uh, i want the kanye stands whoever if they even exist listening to my podcast i want you to know that kanye most likely did not write this verse someone else wrote it i don't know if it was the game i don't know if there was ghost writers in the room that we just don't know about who helped him pen this verse but whoever did really brought out the best in Kanye because I actually think that Kanye actually had a better verse than the game and I was expecting it to be the opposite. He was actually spitting and though I'm tired of hearing the drama surrounding his divorce already, I do like that he's talking about his real life and not some bullshit. You know, I think a lot of the problem I have with Kanye is the drama that he creates to sell albums to to bring the audience's attention to him instead of just letting the music speak for itself and I feel like there's a way that you can control your narrative and there's a way that okay I'm going through hell right now I'm going through a public divorce because this divorce was going to be public regardless because of who Kanye and Kim are and I think that there's a way to kind of control the narrative and use the negatives of that as positives for what you have going on like Kanye could have easily, instead of going on Instagram Live and trying to call out the Kardashians for keeping him from his kids, you know, birthday party or or whatever he was doing, 
it easily could have just been, you know what, the public already knows I'm going through a divorce. I'm going to hop on the game's song and talk a little bit about it without giving too much away. I have my own album that I'm trying to create and promote and all of that. So this this verse right here from Game could have been enough to drum up some hype for Donda already because Kanye is Kanye. I mean Donda 2. Kanye is Kanye, so... Donda 2, as soon as he announced that he was doing Donda 2, there's already going to be hype there because Kanye's who he is. But there's natural hype that you can build without doing too much like Kanye tends to do. Instead of, you know, creating pointless drama or whatever, or going on Twitter and Instagram rants, he easily could have just hopped on the game's record, said what he said in the verse, and that would have drummed up additional hype for Donda 2. He, Kanye doesn't really need to do much, but he feels the opposite. I feel like it's no different than Kendrick, where Kendrick was gone for a while, and then he hops on um, Family Ties, and then he hops on another song, Range Brothers, on, I'm blinking on his name, Baby Keem's album. Kendrick really didn't need to do much. He had been gone for a while. He announces, hey, I'm working on my final TDE album. Boom, here's a feature to get you guys excited about this album so you can hear. Because you can hear in that verse, despite how I feel about that Family Ties record, Kendrick sounds hungry. I mean, he went on, what, five or six different flows on that one verse. So you can tell Kendrick is in album mode. So that's enough hype to generate for Kendrick between that and the Super Bowl that he's performing at. And then obviously we know we're going to get a Kendrick album this year. That was enough to do that. Kanye, at this point in his career, can easily move like Kendrick, but he decides to do all this extra stuff. And that's what turns me off to Kanye, aside from his political beliefs, obviously. But back to the record, obviously the game's verse was dope, but that's not a shock because he's remained pretty consistent, and while many of his peers are kind of washed, even though that's kind of harsh to say, he can still hang, you know, and I think it's because he's so active, you know, the game never, I think, you know, aside from earlier in the 2000s, he's never really taken a real, real break off of music, he's always kind of active, whether he's putting out a mixtape, or he's hopping on, you know, features, he's always remained pretty you know, active, so his pen is still kind of sharp. I can't tell you a, a, a recent game verse that was whack, like he, he's usually on it, so I'm not surprised that his verse was good. I was more so shocked that Kanye's was good and that I enjoyed it. Obviously, Easy was produced by Hip Boy, and I'm not gonna lie, at first, I felt a little way about Hip Boy and Kanye kind of getting back on track, not because I'm a hater or whatever, you know, if you, you know, as an adult, you gotta sometimes squash your issues and just move on from things. And, you know, it's better for you in the long run. My issue was that it was not that long ago. In fact, it was only in August of 2021 that Hip Boy was airing Kanye out, specifically at the listening party for King's Disease 2. You know, the video, he gets drunk, he says what he says. And, you know, even if, you know, before that, when he was talking about Def Jam screwing over their artist and how he said, you know, I haven't been a fan of Kanye as a human being or, you know, as a mentor in a long time, but da 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 like I felt like Hip Boy was being really real. And so it was a little disappointing that it seemed like all of that just got washed away because he comes in the studio with you in game and you guys create a, a good record together and bygones are bygones, seemingly. I just feel like a lot of artists don't keep that same energy with Kanye. It's like there's just this infatuation with him. And this people really do view this man as a god. I don't see it. I don't view anybody but God as a god, but it is what it is. I never understood it, but it was always frustrating to see that Kanye always got it easier. It was like it's like these people in the industry are afraid of him and 
and they kind of just let him have his way and they look the other way. And I think, you know, there was a lot of backlash with the Trump stuff. But again, even with that, a lot of people gave him a pass because of who he is. And it's always frustrating to watch. And I wondered too, and I'm like, you know, Hitboy is Big Sean's guy. So, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Big Sean himself was on Drink Champs really, I won't say airing out, but really just being honest and transparent about a lot of the issues he was going through with Kanye. So I'm like, how does that feel? Because how does he feel? Because Big Sean wasn't in any of those photos in the studio. And then yesterday, there are paparazzi pictures that are released of Big Sean, Kanye West, I think it's French Montana and a couple of other people, Reason, I think from TDE, they're all linked up together. And a lot of people were saying the same things that I was thinking, which is, yeah, they may have seemingly squashed enough of their issues to be in the same room together, but Big Sean's probably still not going to get that money because Big Sean's too nice of a guy. I mean, he admitted in, on Drink Champs that whenever they get together, it always feels like the wrong time to bring up the fact that, hey, you owe me $6 million or however he, how much he owes um, Big Sean for his days on good music. And I can't imagine that they've squashed, they've squashed the money issue. I can't imagine that all is good because it was not that long ago that Big Sean was on Drink Champs. And hell, it wasn't even that long ago that Kanye was on Drink Champs. But we know how, you know, wishy-washy Kanye can be. But I'm surprised that Big Sean was actually in the room with him. Um, I can only imagine that maybe that they're in the talking phase of, okay, we, we clearly have issues. Let's talk about it a little bit. Let's ease our way back into trying to make um, the friendship or working relationship work again. But at the end of the day... Things are never going to be good between them until Big Sean gets that money. And if I was Big Sean, you owe me $6 million. I'm not kikiing with you outside the studio, um, at like even outside of the studio, texting you, hanging out with you. If you owe me money and you gypped me out of my money and you went on a public platform and embarrassed me, like that's just not how I move. But you know, the industry is very fake in a lot of ways. For me though... We, I'm not interested in fixing a relationship with you until I get my money. Now, obviously, Big Sean acknowledged the fact that it might not just be a strict Kanye issue. It could be other people at Good Music. I really don't think it's a Def Jam issue, especially because Big Sean went and re-signed to them. I really don't think it's a Def Jam issue or Universal issue because I believe Universal paid Good Music the money. It just wasn't given to Big Sean. It was just given to good music. So I don't believe that it's only Kanye at fault with the money. Whoever is on the board at good music that sees this type of money, that probably benefited from this type of money, they're at fault too. Um, but I do think that if Kanye had a decent bone in his body, he would be taking the steps to make sure that Big Sean gets that money. And I'm really, I'd be really shocked if he does without Big Sean actually going to court and suing and pretty much pulling a little Wayne. Um, with Birdman. I think that's the only way Big Sean's going to get this money. I don't think there's any reasoning with Kanye because one day Kanye could be like, yeah, I'll get you your master's. And the next day he's wilding out, you know, calling you out on a public platform, dissing you on social media. Like, I do think that if I was him, and I'm pretty sure, you know, his business manager, who's smarter than I am with this stuff, is probably in his ear and saying, yeah, well, that's all well and good. You guys can be buddy-buddy in the studio and whatever, but you still are owed this money. So either he's going to take care of it or we're going to go to court and take care of it for him. And that's pretty much all I have to say about any of that shit. But Easy is a good record. I can't be a complete hater. I got to give it to him. I saved the record. And technically, it's not a Kanye song. It is because, you know, I don't fuck with Kanye. I don't support him in any way. 
Um, but you know, if Kanye's producing on a record, if he's featured, it is what it is. Cause Kanye's an unavoidable artist in that way. Um, but when it comes to Kanye stuff, I'm good down to two. I probably won't even check for, um, but this easy record is dope. And I get the feeling that this game rec- um, album as a whole is going to be dope as well, because born to rap wasn't a bad album. I preferred his album before that. I think it was born in 1992 something like that that was a good album but again speaking of Kanye with controversy the game that album didn't get a lot of attention because he was caught up in all the wrong stuff like beefing with Meek Mill and beefing with this guy and that guy and trying to drum up hype for an album and instead people were kind of turned off because for me I didn't listen to that album until I think a few years later because I was just like oh here the game goes again beefing with this person and I felt like he was like being an opportunist with the Meek Mill beef because everybody was so focused on Meek and Drake during that time because that was maybe a few months after Back to Back had come out and people were clowning Meek and every other day people were kind of I guess in a way as much as I don't care for Meek kicking a man while he was down because you know he was beefing with Drake and then you know a year later him and Nikki broke up so a lot of people were taking advantage of that and kind of kicking him while he was down and I feel like the game seized on that opportunity and tried to use it to sell his album and it kind of you know backfired but that album really was good born to rap you know I think a lot of people were probably put off by a lot of the controversy surrounding game at the time the fact that his album cover was filled with pregnant women like it was just odd but the album itself was good so I don't have any doubts about this upcoming album being um, good as well. I just hope that he, and this is saying a lot because the game is who he is. I really do hope that he stops with the clout chasing and, and trying to draw up controversy to sell an album. Thankfully for this single, he hasn't done that because Kanye and what he was talking about in his verse kind of did that on its own. So he really didn't need to do much. The fact that he's got Kanye on the record, Hip Boy's producing it. Kanye's going through a very public and seemingly nasty divorce. He's talking about his divorce and Kim on the record. So the game really didn't have to do much in, in that. So I just hope that the game lets the music speak for itself because Easy is a good record. Moving on from the game, I also, and I could talk about this very briefly because there's not much to talk about, but when Gunna dropped his album last week, a lot of people noticed that Drake was missing yet again from the track list and a lot of people including myself assumed that Gunna would probably be dropping a deluxe and that that song would be on the record and it was and it's called it was originally called pussy power but they changed it to p-power the song is fucking whack but I'm not surprised I'm not a big Gunna fan it's why I didn't bother really listening to his album in full last week it's why I didn't talk about it um because Gunna is just I've been consistent with with Gunna And my dislike for him, for me, I feel like he's not evolved at all. The music hasn't gotten any better to me. I don't get the hype, but he's got a fan base, as does much of that label. I think it's YSL, Young Thug's label. Much of them have a fan base, but Gunna really hasn't grown on me at all. When he's featured on records from artists that I fuck with, I usually do not like the record. I did give, aside from the Drake record, a couple of listens. I think I listened to the Chloe record because y'all know I love Chloe Bailey. That record was kind of, eh, you know. I listened to the Chris Brown and Young Blue record and Young Blue and Chris Brown had good parts, but it just wasn't enough to save the record. So I've been pretty consistent with that and P-Power is no different. The moans threw me off. I don't know, they were just unnecessary. Drake's verse, I'm like, I'm, I'm even really trying to think back and remember specifics from any of their verses and I, I really can't tell you Drake's verse was nothing to write home about you can tell it was just a little yeah 
you know, Gunner's dropping at the top of the year. It's, you know, uh, people are hyped about this album. Let me give him a quick verse right quick and boom. But it came and went. Not many people were talking about it, including Drake fans. Um, speaking of Drake, though, I did read, and this is alleged because this isn't like um, proven by like a super accurate source, but I've read from a couple of people that Drake, Future, Metro Boomin had allegedly booked studio time for a week in Miami. And even though I have to say alleged, it's most likely true that they are recording stuff together because Drake had posted a picture on his Instagram stories of himself in the studio. Future had done the same and it looks like the same studio. They both have that bright, you know, neon blue light. And Metro Boomin is out there as well. Drake has been out in Miami for a while, for, I don't want to say a while because that implies for months. But he's been in Miami longer than usual. Um, DJ Khaled is, of course, hyping up his upcoming album that's most likely to drop this summer and saying that, oh, you know, him and Drake have another record together. And DJ Khaled does live out in Miami. So it makes a lot of sense um, from what I read from. And I forgot who the person is on Twitter, so it's not me trying not to give um, credit. But they did tweet that they heard from, I guess, some sources that Drake and Future and Metro Boomin had a, allegedly had booked a week-long like studio session out in Miami. And it does make a lot of sense that they are recording of What a Time to Be Alive too. I think the first one took them about a week as well. They were on tour together and they recorded it in a week. I wouldn't be surprised if they went with that same process, especially because I think Future has his own album that he's working on. Who knows what Drake is working on? So it does make sense for them to be like, okay, we can at least a lot about a week worth of time to try to get this project you know recorded written and finished and then future can go back to doing his thing and drake can go back to doing his obviously i think i've talked about my theory and um about what i think drake has going on this year based off of how a lot of artists react and i mean not react but uh, uh, based on how a lot of artists tend to act um depending on the reception of their release so for example uh, and Nas and Justin Bieber always come to mind first. I think I've said this before on the podcast. When an artist tends to drop an album that has mixed reception or the album came in and went or the album was just terrible, they artists will tend to have a quicker turnaround. So for Justin Bieber, Changes had lukewarm reviews and he quickly turned it around a year later with Justice. And you can tell that him and his team really did listen to the criticisms because we went from a, a, a weak R&B album to a pop album, which is, let's be real, though Justin Bieber loves R&B music, he thrives in the pop world. And a lot of people wanted a pop album from Justin Bieber because Purpose was the last album we got before Changes, and that was a mega smash. And it was um, wholeheartedly pop. You know, you had the influences of R&B and you had the influences of some trap beats on there and things like and you had the EDM stuff that you know he after he put out where are you now with Skrillex and Diplo that was a mega record and that changed the dynamic of per the Purpose album you heard a lot of EDM um, type of songs and beats on Purpose and he really rode that wave and he was successful at it and obviously it's not as popular anymore so to go from that to changes like a lot of people just weren't receptive especially because Justin Bieber has put out a better R&B album, Journals. And so Changes really did not have the greatest reviews all around. And so he followed it up with Justice. And that was much, it was received much better. And it was a better album. 
Same with Nas, with Nasir, with Kanye, you know, and then Lost Tapes too. So he came back with King's Disease, a much more received album. So artists do tend to do that. And um, sometimes they do it even when an album is greatly received. They're on a great, they're on a great creative, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? They're in a great creative space. And so it causes them to keep churning out albums. And again, I can use Nas for that example where, you know, King's Disease was received well. We're back again the next year with King's Disease 2. Oh, again, in the same year, we're getting magic. So sometimes when artists are in a good creative space and a good groove and, you know, they'll just keep putting out music because, you know, they're confident and the music's good. And, and you know, that's what spawns a lot of these runs in music. So I think for Drake, Certified Lover Boy receives such mixed reviews that, of course, my first thought was, okay, well, we're not going to hear nothing from Drake in 2022, especially because of the reception to Certified Lover Boy. See, Scorpion was so well received, it allowed him to take an almost three year break before Certified Lover Boy because, you know, people were satisfied with Scorpion, it would hold them over. Um, Drake had dropped Care Package and he had re released so far gone so he kind of was able to kind of chill and work on his album without having to worry about you know putting something out to hold fans over same with dark lane demo tapes but with certified lover boy that was such a um to me not a good album but i guess in the grand scheme of things it received mixed reviews that i felt like drake was going to be very quick to follow it up with something this year and i had a huge feeling that it, he was gonna drop two projects this year and one of them was going to be the one with feature because fans have been begging for a sequel for what a time to be alive for a while especially in 2019 or 2020 when they dropped life is good there was like that was like the height of the hype for that project because people were expecting life is good to be the lead single for the sequel so knowing that that's what fans really want and that most likely they're going to enjoy the sequel they're going to be um very receptive to it well i'll give into fan service and i'll start off the year with what a time to be alive too it gets people to stop talking about certified lover boy and shift their focus to what a time to be alive too however if this project isn't good then people are still going to talk about certified lover boy they're also going to be talking about how bad the sequel is and they're going to say again those questions of is drake falling off is drake incapable of producing quality music anymore is going to be even more heightened so if this future project isn't good then that gives him a lot of pressure for this next project that he drops whether it's a mixtape or an album he's got a lot of pressure so i hope for his sake that they are cooking up something that fans from that audience um, can enjoy and even outside of those fans because Drake has such a huge fandom that fans like me who really didn't care for the first one of time to be alive I'm still going to check out the sequel because it's Drake I'm a fan so even if people who aren't a part of that Drake and future audience aren't satisfied with this project he's going to have a lot of pressure leading up to whatever he drops next so I think he's going into what a time to be alive too hoping to get people to stop talking about his last album and I always tell my dad when we have these conversations about Drake and how he operates that What a Time to Be Alive 2 didn't come out in 2020 because Drake didn't need it. See, Drake only will do these projects when it's beneficial for him. See, for Future, it's always beneficial. But for Drake, he didn't need What a Time to Be Alive 2 in 2020. He didn't need it in 2018 or 2019. 
nor did he think he was going to need it last year. But Certified Lover Boy comes out. It receives the um, reviews that it does, and now it's useful to him. So now he will carve out a time to do this because we're in the pandemic. He's not touring right now. He hasn't really been doing anything after Certified Lover Boy dropped. So he has the time to be like, you know what? Put out, clear out a week for me, and I'm going to go down to Miami and I'm going to record with Future. We're going to, because I do believe that most likely this project will come out in the first quarter, maybe the latest the summer, because again, Future is working on his own album unless he intends to put out his album later in the year. It is possible that What a Time to Be Alive too, if it doesn't drop in this quarter, it'll drop in the second quarter, maybe leading up to the summer. And we'll see if this project ends up being any good. I don't have super high expectations for it. I'm not overly excited for it. I'm just looking forward to Drake getting back to basics and maybe putting out a solo project. If Drake were to announce a solo project sometime this year, I would probably be looking forward to that because I want to see if, you know, he's going to give me what I want. Moving on from Drake in the future, The Weeknd teased a new trilogy a couple of weeks ago, which means that after this After Hours story isn't quite finished, which I know a lot of the trilogy, the original trilogy fans are booing and crying somewhere because they can't let go of, of you know, what The Weeknd did in 2011 for some reason. Come on, guys, it's 2022. You gotta let that go. If you still want that from The Weeknd, just revisit his old music because at this point, where The Weeknd is in his career and sonically is like miles ahead of where he was then. So, And if you were hoping for his next album to be darker, I don't know what this next album is going to sound like. I can imagine it's still going to be a pop album. So if you were hoping for a more darker and R&B album, you're probably not going to get it. I'm assuming that this next album is going to be titled Afterlife because there were Easter eggs woven into this album, which The Weeknd usually will do. And I think that's also, that adds to the cinematic nature of The Weeknd and his rollouts because in After Hours, throughout the, the music videos, a lot of fans, they will watch those and, and look for Easter eggs, which is why that whole blue suit and black suit theory for After Hours existed because The Weeknd went from wearing red suits all the time to all of a sudden wearing a black suit, wearing a blue suit, and so they weren't technically wrong because, you know, with Dawn FM, he is kind of wearing black. He's He got rid of the red. He's only wearing black. It's a lot of cool and dark colors for Dawn FM. And for Afterlife, who knows what color is going to kind of be at the center of that album. So technically they weren't wrong. This is a, a series that he's doing. It just wasn't like a, a sequel. I mean, it, it's a sequel to After Hours, but it wasn't like, okay, here are three different versions of the After Hours albums. They're just, they're all together in a series. They're just a little different. And so knowing that about The weekend, eventually after I released Hat with the album and, and listened to it, I then started to listen for Easter eggs to see if there were any hints. And Afterlife kept popping up. And honestly, with the release of Dawn FM and how The Weeknd describes that album, it was very clear to me that this was like a sister album to After Hours. And so when he announced that, you know, you're experiencing a whole new trilogy of stories, I was not shocked. And I thought about it and I even re-listened to Dawn FM and I'm like, I really feel like this third album is going to be Afterlife. And that makes sense. You know, After Hours, his character is dying on Dawn FM. The character died. He's in purgatory and he's trying to figure out 
if he is going to end up in heaven or hell or where he's going to end up. And I think Afterlife will be the conclusion of the story. You'll find out where the character ends. And I think, like I said, The Weeknd is very cinematic. You can tell that he combines his love for music in film very well, especially in his visuals. So I'm excited for this next album. I, I'm excited to see where the story heads. And I think a lot of the hate on Dawn FM is unnecessary. If you genuinely don't like the music, that's one thing. But if you're letting your opinions on Don FM stem from the fact that he's no longer making the music he used to make in 2011 or that it's too light, it's too poppy, and it's not really about the quality of music, I really can't take your opinion seriously. If it's based off of numbers and the fact that it's not as much of a success as After Hours is, again, I have to discredit your opinion in your, your takes because that's not what makes an album good. And I do think that a lot of people in a couple of years will come back to Dawn FM and realize that it's a good album. To me, a lot of the criticisms that you had for Dawn FM, you didn't have for After Hours. And they're similar in the way that they're sequenced. They're similar in the way that they're just put together in general. The sound is obviously different. After Hours and Dawn FM sound nothing alike because, again, he dived deeper into the 80s pop um and you know disco and synth and and that area he dived deeper there's more of that here and maybe that's the problem with some people which I could understand if that's what it is if you feel like you know what the weekend is a little too pop and I feel like after hours had more of a healthy mix it wasn't like synth after synth after synth I can understand that um but as far as the quality of Dawn FM I don't hear what other people hear as far as bashing it I, I do think Dawn FM is a strong album and it just gets me even more excited for the final album in this trilogy and to just see where the weekend goes in this decade because you know he said it himself that he's not slowing down anytime soon so I can't wait to hear it moving on from the weekend and into more album announcements logic also announces that his new album vinyl days will drop after all of the samples clear and I gotta be honest, we might not be getting this album anytime soon, and this is why. Now, Logic has always been sample-heavy. You know, he's was, he signed under No ID, like a lot of his favorite producers, like Kanye, like RZA. You know, back then, hip-hop was built on samples. That was literally the creation of hip-hop, obviously. And Logic comes from that philosophy, and on a lot of his albums, he has a lot of samples, and he's always complaining about the fact that they do not get cleared, I remember one time a couple of years ago, he went on like a, I won't say a rant, but kind of, where he just expressed how ridiculous it is that people just won't clear a sample. And this is, this is my thing. I can't imagine how frustrating it is when a sample that you really want on a song does not get cleared. But you also have to remember that what you're doing is not original. You are taking from somebody else and they always reserve the full right to decide on whether they will or will not let you get a sample. And you have to keep that in mind. At the end of the day, this is this person's work. Some people are more, some people keep their work closer to the chest than others. Some are more willing to share and some just would prefer you not to touch any of their work to be original, especially because you don't know what the person is doing on the song. Obviously, for some people's cases, they actually do or request to listen to the song before they decide to clear it or not. And for some people, it's just, you know, they're like, yeah, clear the sample, whatever, they can then use it. And then they may hear the song later and go, I probably should have listened to the record before I cleared it because they're talking about a bunch of crazy shit on a song I like dedicated to my mother or whatever. And so 
remembering Logic's little rant on Twitter that day, I'm like, he's got to be out of his mind to create an album that's fully based on samples, knowing how frustrated he gets when they don't get cleared. And considering that the whole theme of this album is that every track he's flipping a vinyl and sampling something from that vinyl, that's a whole album's worth of samples to clear. I'm thinking maybe 16 to 18 tracks. And it depends on how many samples he used for one beat, because I'm assuming Logic produced most of this because in the trailer for the album, he's like on his MPC, on his beat maker, and he's like tapping out a, a drum beat and things like that. Obviously, I, I have to believe that Six is involved since that's his main guy, that's his in-house producer. But even in the trailer, he says it'll come out when the sample's clear. So that could mean anywhere from by the end of the year to next year. It really depends on who he chose. I would hope that he did his research and he went with samples that would have been easier to clear rather than samples where someone just absolutely will not clear it at all because they're like, or they do a sting and they take 100% of the rights of the song and the publishing and whatever. He had apparently been teasing vinyl days for a while. I, I guess I fell off the logic map. I really hadn't heard much of him but I think he may have been talking about stuff like this on on Twitch and I'm not on there. If I were him I probably wouldn't have announced this album until the samples were clear especially because he apparently has another album in the works called College Park. I think it would have been a smarter idea to drop that one first and then save vinyl days for like when the samples get cleared and he can actually put it out unless He's purposely making this his final Def Jam album because he only has one album left in his contract and samples add up. And so maybe he's like, you know what? We should make this the final album for Def Jam because I can't afford all of these samples and Def Jam has the budget to give me what I want. From the snippets, the um, from the snippets he put out, the beats sound dope. And I have high hopes for this album just because, again, I really like the snippets. I like the idea. I just think that it's a tall order <laughs> because of the sample issues, but um, I'm hoping that Logic just gets back to basics. K. Michelle has also been talking a little bit about her new album, which I thought the last one was supposed to be her final R&B album, but this one is. I don't remember the title. I don't know if she titled it and or not. I think fans are just guessing what the album title is. I'm going to be honest. I always meant to listen to K. Michelle's last album, but I just never got around to it and but I think I'm really really gonna make the effort to listen to this one especially if it is her last R&B album I personally don't think it will be she's a going into country music which was shown on her last season of love and hip-hop I think she was on Hollywood at this point and she was already kind of working with country writers and producers and talking to other country artists honestly I think maybe she'll put out one country album take a break from music and then come back to R&B I just don't see her lasting in country music for all that long. I think it's a passion she's always wanted to do, you know, and she'll put out an album, maybe two, and eventually, and, and I can't really see a lot of her core fan base following her, following her over to country for some reason. So I think eventually she will make her way back to R&B. But for now, this is going to be her final R&B album. I will check it out because for Kay Michelle, I really enjoyed her first album, I've been inconsistent with listening to her since then. And I think just because a lot of her nonsense on reality TV kind of turned me off and I just kind of went the other way and, and really didn't bother listening to the rest of her discography. 
But before this album drops, I might actually go back. I think I, I've listened to a handful of songs off of her second album. Um, I forgot what it's called. Um, something about buy a heart. Can you buy me a, something about buying a heart? I listened to a handful of songs off of there. And some of the songs were good. Some of the songs I didn't care for. So if I have time, I'm going to go back and listen to her discography after her debut. See what it's, if I like it or not. And then definitely give her final R&B album a chance. Tamar Braxton has also been talking a little bit more about her upcoming album. She was another one who was supposed to retire after Bluebirds of Happiness, which I was annoyed by because I think Tamar puts out, she put out some of the best R&B music in the 2010s. Like she was one of the few R&B artists that was still able to kind of thrive, even though R&B had kind of died out and she was making traditional R&B music and I don't think she has a single miss. I think her debut, well, technically that wasn't her debut, but Love and War was a phenomenal album. I really enjoyed Calling All Lovers, and I even enjoyed Bluebirds of Happiness. Now, to me, it's the weakest album out of the three that I mentioned, but it was still a good album, and I felt like she had so much fur further to go in her career, but I understand a lot of music politics played a role in why she was going to retire, label issues, you know, issues with Vince, and he was her manager at the time, and falling out with some of, you know, the writers that she worked with on the other two albums. So I could understand, and obviously mental health too, like that's not a shock. Tamar Braxton has been very transparent about her mental health and how that affects her. So I understood why she wanted to retire. I didn't believe it was going to last and I was hoping it wasn't going to last. So to hear her talk about this new album is really exciting. We're apparently supposed to get two albums. I don't know if we're still going to get them in the same year or we'll kind of get them within like six like six months of each other or like a year within each other, whatever. But I'm just so excited for new Tamar Braxton music that I'm not mad at her putting out a, a bunch of music to kind of get us going again and She's had a lot of time between albums now because I kind of think Bluebirds of Happiness came out in 2017 because I was a freshman in college. And I had a friend at the time who was as much of a Tamar Braxton fan as I was. So we both got the album, listened to it and talked about it. So it was definitely in 2017. So a lot has happened between now and then. And I do think that she's going to give us a quality R&B album and I can't wait. Moving on to album announcements and into an actual album review... I'm going to get into From a Bird's Eye View by Corday. Now, this album shows his three-year growth from his debut album, The Lost Boy. Lyrically and storytelling-wise, Corday has become stronger, and in the next five years, he's definitely going to be listed as one of the greats in his era. His rhyme scheme, flow, and the way he puts words together are all amazing, and that's probably why I'm really a fan of Corday. Like, I just know that when he puts out music, whether it's just a song, an EP, an album, I'm going to get something great. His storytelling on his debut was already great, especially for a new and young artist. And it was refreshing in 2019. But on this album, he sounds more seasoned. He's lived more life, but importantly, he's lived more life as a famous person and everything that comes with being a known rapper and the money and the women and, you know, the trials and tribulations of, you know, I guess maybe living up to certain expectations. So within that three year break, you can really hear a better Corday, which is what you should hear. You never want an artist to go backwards, especially so early in their career when the sophomore slump is a thing. I definitely think that he clearly avoided the sophomore stuff with this album. I won't say it's better than The Lost Boy, but it is up there. It's a really, really solid album. 
you can hear the influences from Nas and J. Cole in the poetic way that he shares his life stories and tries to uplift the audience. However, he still stands apart on his own. He's a perfect blend of traditional styles of hip-hop and what makes current-day rap so good. He doesn't sound stuck in the 90s or the early 2000s. You can hear those influences, but he sounds fresh. Corday is relatable to me because he talks about the shit that I can actually relate to, and it hits harder because we're closer in age. I want to say he's maybe a year or two older than me. You know, he doesn't try to flex. He doesn't act like a thug. He's just himself. He talks about student loans, college, family tensions, and making it out of the hood. Now, if that's actually your reality, if you're if you were actually like in the streets like that and you were, you know, quote unquote, a thug or whatever, that's different when it's authentic. But I feel like a lot of rappers today feel like that that's what they have to be to sell or they have to be into the drugs. They have to, you know, have a tough background. They have to you know, be affiliated with some gang or whatever, and it just comes off as phony. You can always tell when it's not authentic. Now, I'm not saying Corday had an easy life. If you listen to any of his music, he will tell you some of the things that he had to do to survive, but it's not a front. He doesn't have to act like more than what he is. He doesn't have to act fake gangster. He's just himself, and I think that's refreshing in an era where you hear a lot of his peers do the opposite of what he's doing, and it causes him to stand out. His themes and messaging are important on this album, but not overly preachy. And that attracts me to the music because on the other side of things, I think, you know, J. Cole has had this criticism before and even Nas where it's like, oh, you think you're better than us because maybe you read a little bit more or you know a little bit more or you're more articulate, you're smart, and it feels like you're throwing it in our faces. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case for J. Cole and Nas, but I have heard other people kind of throw subtle shots and say, oh, this guy thinks he's so smart. I mean, Jay-Z kind of did it on TakeOver, where it's like, you think you're kicking knowledge, or you know, you think you're telling us something that's so profound and that we're lesser than you, and you have to teach it to us and preach it to us. With this album, and even on The Lost Boy, it never felt like Corday was overly preachy or anything like that. He's just kind of giving you gems, and if you want to take it and heed his advice, cool. If you don't, well, you already know where you're going. He also pulls off the melodic shit because he actually has a pretty good singing voice, and that was something... I want to say he did it a little bit on The Lost Boy, but it was really highlighted for me on Gifted, which is a bonus track on this album. Um... And I, it, for a long time, I'm like, who is singing this other part of this record? Because I know it's not Corday. It doesn't sound like him. It's definitely not Roddy. And finally, on from Bird's Eye View, Aunt Clemens is credited. And as he should be, because he does a decent part of the hook, like he stands out. It's not just him doing background vocals. Like, it's his voice. But Corday, on that record, I'm like, Corday can actually sing pretty well. And I think he just recently did a, a tiny desk performance for NPR. And he posted a clip on his social media and Brandy commented and said, I don't know, it sounds like singing to me. And if someone like Brandy, who is hailed as like a vocal Bible in the R&B world is saying that about a rapper, then I'm not crazy. And you can definitely hear that. Yeah, Corday can rap and he's, that's his, he's, he's more, he's more skilled at rapping, but he actually has a nice voice and that gives him that duality, I think. Um, to stick around because he can give you diversity. It's not just one thing all the time. He's capable of doing other things and giving you other sounds and genres and something different. And you can tell he listens and appreciates other genres outside of hip-hop based off of the soul and jazz elements you hear in the production on the album. And like I said, it makes him a better artist. I'll never forget Jaden Smith saying that, I think it was Kid Cudi, 
told him, you know, before we work together, you have to expand your musical palette. You can't just listen to R&B and hip hop and the basic genres. You have to dive deeper into subgenres. You have to listen to decades of music that came before you to really grasp and appreciate music because it makes you a better artist. Because when you only are consumed in the music that you grew up on or you're experiencing, eventually you kind of run out of things to create because you're creating the same thing over and over again. But when you have a bigger appreciation for music that came before you, you could be making something some someday and a little riff that you heard on a um, Led Zeppelin album or a little moment that you heard on a Fleetwood Mac album or, you know, something from LL Cool J's album from the 80s might stick with you and you may recreate it or you may put your own spin on it or it may inspire you to do something different and you may push the envelope in your own way and it, it might be refreshing to a listener like, oh, you know, it's not always drill beats. It's not always these overly saturated pop records. I think that's why artists like Silk Sonic and even Victoria Monet, Lucky Day, a lot of these artists that are inspired by a wider range of music and putting their own spin on it, it's gotten such a positive reaction from audiences because sometimes an audience doesn't know what they want. They're listening to trendy music because that's what's there. But when you actually have you grab a 14-year-old's attention who may not know much about the 60s and the 70s and they listen to Silk Sonic for the first time, you may be introducing them to music they didn't know they liked because they didn't, you know, have the idea to go back and listen. Um, and Silk Sonic, you know, was their first, you know, their first experience with that kind of music and they may go back and listen to, you know, Motown music because they really liked what Silk Sonic did on their debut album. And so I really, that always, that story always stuck with me when Jaden said that Kid Cudi wouldn't work with him until he like really, you know, did his homework and, you know, listened and embraced other music and Jaden admitted himself, it made the music better. Like when you listen to Jaden Smith's albums, they all kind of sound different. And, you know, he did um, an album inspired by the Beatles. Like not a lot of people are, a lot, not a lot of people from at least this era are doing that. And that's why Jaden Smith has been able to maintain like, an audience because he's doing something different and I feel like for Corday in the rap world he's kind of trying to do the same where it's you can't put me in a box I gave you a certain something on the Lost Boy I'm giving you something different on this album here but I'm still staying true to my roots but I'm just trying to grow as an artist and I think those artists are they're they're what that's what sets them apart from the other artists that exist artists that are trying to just do something different and not wanting to repeat themselves and are willing to grow and not stay safe you know the production on this album is phenomenal it's reminiscent of production from just blaze no id and of course kanye west it's very soulful and has what sounds like live instrumentation which i love it brings out the best of Corday as well. Like there's just certain beats where they would start and I'm like, Corday is going to murder this track. And of course I was right. My top songs from, from a bird's eye view are Westlake High, Chronicles, Sinister, which I've already dived deep into. So I won't, you know, revisit C Carter and John Michelle. So I'm going to start off with Westlake High, probably one of my, obviously it's one of my favorites. It's in my top tracks, but I want to say I'm comfortable with saying that it's like in my top three if I were to rank it. The production is built around a 70s sounding sample and throws back to early Kanye, think the college dropout version of Kanye. Aside from the production, Corday just got into it on this outro. He drops some gems and dips. 
My only criticism is that it's too short, but it is the perfect outro. I just wish he gave us one more verse. My favorite lines are, quote, if only Father Time had the patience of Mother Nature. The next song I wanted to get into is Chronicles, which features her and Little Dirk. This track falls on the melodic side of things, but Corday pulls it off because, like I said, he has a pretty good voice and a good ear for melodies. So when he hops on tracks with singers like her and actually sings, he pulls it off. It also helps that the production is actually suited for an R&B singer. He didn't try to harden it or give it a heavy hip-hop edge, he just let it be. Corday and her have great chemistry together almost always, and this just might be my favorite track of theirs together. Her sounds great as usual, of course. Dirk actually fits in really well here too because he's good with melodies as well. And so when I first saw the track list, I'm like, is Dirk going to sound out of place? But Dirk is, he's kind of got a duality to him as well. He can kind of do the music he does on his own time well, and he can also fit in on tracks like this. My favorite lines are, quote, I'm on this road and I'm not sure where my heart is headed. And if you left me now, I know how far I'd regret it. Told you once, tell you twice that I'm indebted, but I can't waste no time. You know my time is precious. The next song on my list is C. Carter. This is the track that makes you root for Corday as he talks about his come up. I feel like every artist has that one song that's like their victory lap in the words of Nipsey Hussle. And I feel like this is Corday's. You know, he talks about going from being broke to succeeding and living his dreams. It's also extremely relatable to me as I try my best to break my way into the industry as well and how frustrating it can be on your way up to doing so. You know, and also sometimes you have dreams that some people may not believe in and, you know, but you have that drive and that ambition and that hunger to see it come true that you kind of just don't let it phase you. This song also brings me back to being a teenager in high school when he says, quote, back when good music dropped Cruel Summer. And it was kind of an odd feeling that I had that moment of nostalgia because I'm really not that old. I'm only 23. But we are at the same time old enough to look back to our teenage years from a wise point of view, which is what he does on this song. And that ties into the theme of his album from a bird's eye view. He's kind of viewing things that are going on in the world from a different perspective, maybe a wiser perspective. I also love the guitar in the production because it gives the song soul. My favorite lines are, quote, I break free every time that I wake. My fate bleeds and creates seeds that eventually blossom to trees, getting rid of all of the extra shit I thought I would need. And again, I love that rhyme scheme in those lines. That's probably why they stuck out to me. And I also like, quote, I was trying to find a job, but shit, why bother? Being broke can make you try harder. The last song on my list is John Michelle. A strong way to start the album, this is the intro. This track is a great example of the clever way Corday puts his words together and his dope rhyme schemes. He's got one of the best rap voices and tones in the game. The way he drops gems from his perspective is very refreshing, and maybe it's because it's coming from a young voice. But the song does what a good intro is supposed to do, which is grip you and hold your attention, especially for the rest of the album. My favorite lines are, quote, on my mama, I will die for the right cause. Cause what's life without sacrifice? And you just wasting talent if you never strategize. Stare death in the face with the saddest eyes. So to conclude my thoughts about this album, I think The Lost Boy was a great debut for Corday. And I think that this album from a bird's eye view, it, uh, it convinces the listener that Corday is here to stay. He's getting better and better with 
with each each time he drops something he gets better and better and i think this album shows you that he's got a great long career ahead of him everything about this album was put together well the productions i mean not the productions the production the stories he told even the way he rapped the way he rhymed like everything was top tier like you expect an album like this to come from like a seasoned artist and that just shows me that if he's sounding like this on his second album then it's it's, it can only be up from here. I thoroughly enjoyed this album and it's very, very early, but I have a feeling this might end up on my best albums of the list for this year. And it's definitely going to end up on my list for the halfway point of the year. So shout out to Corday for putting out a dope album. I've definitely been running it back and I can see myself listening to this album pretty consistently throughout the year. So that wraps up my album review as well as my music segment. Now I want to get into this Degrassi news. So it was announced maybe earlier in the week that a Degrassi reboot is in the works for HBO Max. Now, I have mixed feelings about this because apparently one of the showrunners for this is from Riverdale. <laughs> Riverdale is a fucking mess. I think that they they made this decision too late because essentially Euphoria is like a really dark version of Degrassi. Now Degrassi had a lot of dark moments during its time and it set a lot of it set the pace for Euphoria to exist down the line and a lot of teenage shows drew from Degrassi because Degrassi really was the first of its kind and it Degrassi never dies. It was popular in the 70s and 80s, came back in the early 2000s, was a mega smash and it lasted all the way into the mid to late 2010s. I think the only time it really failed was when they tried to do like a Gen Z version on Netflix. <laughs> it just didn't work. And I see a lot of people already trying to compare this to Euphoria, especially because when you put a show like that on HBO Max, you have no boundaries. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. Like a lot of, in some ways, the positives of, De of a Degrassi Rube reboot coming to HBO Max is that there is no boundaries that they can push the envelope and they can really depict like real life situations you know on, on streaming services you can pretty much do and show what you want and I think that's why Euphoria works. Euphoria would not work on a regular cable channel it would not work on a free former a lot of um, what makes Euphoria powerful at least visually is the content that they are allowed to show um, so I think that that will help I just don't want them to, I don't want that Riverdale showrunner to come in and try to do what they do on, on Riverdale, which is make these unrealistic um, storylines for these characters to, just to try to insert drama into the show. I think what made Degrassi so good is that, and I can only speak for the 2000s versions of the show because I've never seen the 70s version. I do hope that when they say that Degrassi is coming to HBO Max that it is like all forms of Degrassi and if that ends up being the case I'm definitely going to check it out because I am curious to watch the earlier seasons of the show either way I'm going to try my best to be open-minded I'm going to give it a chance because I loved Degrassi growing up like it was one of those shows that if you are around my age and you grew up and grew up in that era, nine times out of ten, you were watching that show. So I will give it a chance. Um, I am a lot older now, so I think I'm going to be able to watch it from a different perspective because I do that now. When I started watch doing my rewatch of The Next Generation, I kind of had a different thought process versus when I was originally watching 
as a teenager, I definitely think that Degrassi can still be a kind of like a, a guide for a, in the way that it was for us, teaching us what to do and what not to do. I do think it would have been dope if Drake ended up as an executive producer for this version of Degrassi like he is for Euphoria. That would have been cool. He could have had a, another way of getting a bag and, you know, maybe Jimmy could have made an appearance. I'm, I'm pretty sure that some of the OG cast members will get again and make an appearance on this version of the show because they almost always do. But yeah, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm going to wait for that trailer to drop. I believe it's set to premiere on HBO Max strictly next year. So they have time to kind of get some storylines together. I didn't watch the Gen Z version on Netflix just because it didn't seem marketed to me. It seemed marketed to like young teenagers. But I wonder if they are going to bring some of those characters back or if they're just going to do a time jump and it's going to be all new characters. I feel like that's probably smarter for them to do. But yeah, I'm going to keep an open mind, like I said, and give it a shot and let you guys know if it's worth watching or not. So before the episode ends, I did want to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is, of course, Sacrifice by The Weeknd. Now, if you listen to the season three premiere, you've heard me rave about this record, so I won't repeat myself. But it is so far one of the best songs of the year. It gives you that that um, that 80s feeling, like that, that song that makes you want to get up and dance. Like just that really feel-good record, that magic, that that decade created for for pop you really get that with sacrifice and i've really had it on repeat since this album has come out i love it, it i think it's one of the weekend's best songs so if you haven't heard it at this point yet definitely give it a chance because it is worth like three minutes of your time so we have reached the end of the episode thank you guys for listening to me rant and ramble for over an hour i'm shocked that this episode is even over an hour. I thought it was going to be about like 45 minutes because there didn't seem to be a whole lot to talk about. But if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep up with this podcast further, then please head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There are links to all my social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm even on YouTube and on Letterboxd as well. You can keep up with my official film reviews there. I will Give this podcast the exclusive first, of course, but you can always head to my letterbox and check them out later. If you enjoy this podcast as a whole and you want to support it further, then please, again, head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com, and consider donating to my listeners' donations. This can also be found on my Anchor page. I'd really, really appreciate it. And while you're at it, you can also give Listen To Me Speak a five-star review on anywhere you rate podcasts. I'd really appreciate that as well. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.